HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Welcome to a special crossover of the Speakeasy and the Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food and drinks industry in crisis. My name is Souther Teague. I'm the host of the Speakeasy, and today we're asking, how are bars staffing up for the holidays and beyond? My guest is Maria Bastash, creator of Disco Mary, a cocktail bar, a collective of individuals passionate about the power of plants, people, and partying like there is a tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you for having me. Uh, so happy to talk to you about the projects that you're doing right now. But the main question we have today is, of course, what challenges is our sector facing when it comes to hiring for this busy holiday season that we're already in the midst of? I mean, wow, it's been it has been a challenging few years, actually. So the challenges aren't necessarily new, um, but they're definitely uh, they're definitely mounting for the restaurant industry. I think the last projection I saw was by 2022, close to 50% of the workforce was due to be out, um, moving on to different sectors, which quite frankly, I, I can understand, uh, that movement and, and why people are wanting to change industries. So I think it's really a time for deep evaluation, within our industry of what we can be doing to better support our team. And, you know, I think that that's, it's kind of an all encompassing issue. Yeah. It's a, it's a big decision to take a job. It's a big decision to offer a job to someone. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you just said about, you can understand why people might want to leave the sector. What, what, uh, what makes you feel you have a, a close understanding of that? Well, yeah, of course. Um, well, for me now, it's been over 20 years in the industry, so I'm not quite where you are yet, but getting there. And um, I've worked every job from line cook to uh, busser to server to bartender to um, manager to now partner. And, um, you know, this is a very demanding industry. It's it's physically demanding. It's emotionally demanding. Um, and I think up until just recently, we had felt it to be normative, right? The, the standard for us to have these like very long hours to not have days off for that to almost be like a badge of honor. 
Um, and I think that during the pandemic, there was a hard stop because for so many reasons, right. But because we physically had to stop and then, but then we had to shift gears and, and take on all of these new challenges. And I think it really revealed so much. It allowed for this larger conversation to come forward, which is the, the quality of life and the labor practices within our industry. And for me personally, I can, I can attest to, you know, um, experiencing some of these just like very stressful work environments, very stressful hours, burning the candle at both ends, because that also becomes sort of a normative practice because you need an outlet. You need to be able to socialize, but our normal times for socializing with friends, you know, for people that work nine to fives are at night. So you kind of have to figure out different hours to socialize. So you end up doing it later at night and then you're not sleeping and the cycle just keeps going. Um, so I think that people realize that that's, it's not quite sustain, sustainable, um, that we need to be able to, I think from, from a restaurant owner's perspective, we need to be able to offer an environment that is able to provide some level of work-life balance, that is able to provide some semblance of steady income, um, that is able to provide benefits like healthcare. Like this is still something that is not a normative practice across the board in restaurants. And, and my heart is also, you know, I'm not only on the side of, uh, What's the, what am I trying to think of here where I'm not just complaining? I have a very keen awareness that, you know, the margins within our industry, the profit margins are slim to none. So it's, it's a wholesale change that needs to happen to make this a more sustainable industry for everyone to be involved in. And I think that, I think we're seeing examples of these changes. Um, but I think we're going to have to speed up some of those examples if we want to retain some of our workforce. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. Speaking of those examples that are out there, first I would say, what do you think drove um, the culture in our field of endeavor to do the things you said, you know, uh, give up work-life balance, burn the candle at both ends, uh, work extreme hours under uh, kind of duress? What do you think caused that culture? And, and, and what do you think sort of waking up from that culture looks like? And what examples can you cite that you're uh, employing at, uh, at your spot so that you can draw a better hire? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's such an interesting question because I do think that there's a certain type of character that is attracted to our industry. It is one that that is high energy, someone that feels somewhat energized around being around people, or at least they do part of the time. I think, you know, this culture has been driven by a combination of individuals that enjoy this work, right? They enjoy the fast pace. They enjoy that there's a new problem to solve every day. They enjoy interacting with people. They enjoy food and beverage. Um, and so there is just this incredible passion and love of this work. And so it made it easier to kind of overlook areas that maybe weren't so, you know, healthy for our well-being, that weren't a – that jobs that didn't have a quote unquote work-life balance. If anything, it became again, like this badge of honor that kind of drove itself internally because then you would, um, I mean, I just remember, you know, working multiple shifts in a row. So I'd be on like week three of 
six shifts, sometimes seven shifts in a row and socializing with other peers in the industry. And it would be just be like a moment where you're like kind of commiserating with one another. And just that even that culture internally um, felt like it was normal. Um, and, and it's an interesting question. Yeah, I would think that you're right. I think the folks who are drawn to our field are kind of alphas in their way. Uh, they want to be, you know, seen the most or heard the most. Maybe they're a little bit manic. Uh, and I do think you're correct in that we have a lot of passion for the field that we've chosen. Uh, and I do also then think that this created an opportunity for that passion to be sort of um, exploited by the field itself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, the more you love something, the, the easier it is for you to be told, oh, I need you to work a double. I need you to work uh, uh, seven shifts in a row this week. I need you to. Right. Right. And these sort of normative practices started to replicate, you know, there's a cycle that starts to develop because I also noticed that, you know, I coming up from, you know, washing dishes, there's a sense of pride of like, oh man, I worked so hard to get to this position of whatever it is, you know, at the time, like lead server or lead bartender or manager or whatever position you feel like you've really worked towards. And now you've kind of leveled up, so to speak. Um, and then you kind of, there's a cycle that happens. It's like, come on, I've, I've done, I've done this work. You can do it too. And you push it downhill towards the new people coming in. Um, and that, that is something that I've really sat with. Um, cause you know, I've, I definitely have managed, um, a team for several years now. Um, but it wasn't until the pandemic that I really had the opportunity. I was privileged enough to take some time for myself and, um, I really had the opportunity to sit and think about, you know, what is the space that I want to see? What is the space that I want to work in and how do I want people to feel, um, in their work environment? And what does that work week look like? And I can't, you know, push whatever it is I experienced is it needs to stop. Right. And so we need to put forward a new standard and it's new and it's hard. <laughs> it's expensive. Um, so, I mean, some of what we're doing here at Disco Mary, for example, I and mean, we were chatting earlier, we are open Wednesday through Saturday. Um, that is not normal in the restaurant industry. Like I know since the pandemic, we've seen more spaces that are closing down at least one day a week, some two days a week, but I mean, we're closed three days a week. That is definitely something that hits, you know, the bottom line. There's other examples I, I think, where we're, if I could just, if I could just jump in for a second, I think that the difference there is that you have made that choice when many places up to and including several of my places aren't open seven days a week, not by choice, but by the fact that we can't seem to, gather enough employees. Yeah. I think that is another challenge. Um, I will say that we have been fairly fortunate in the sense that we've been able to keep moving forward, but it's, we've been, we've had a couple of interesting strategies along the way. Um, so in terms of attra attracting people, um, I think that we increased our pay across the board for everyone, which also was not an easy choice. Um, but it was a way to, um, you know, either 
incentivize people that had been with us to stay on or to attract new talent. And, you know, and then also being able to guarantee a five-day work week, um, guarantee a certain number of hours. No one's really going overtime, which again, in the bar world, like overtime, what's that? Like I used to work like 80 hour shifts or weeks rather. And that was normal. Um, and so really putting a cap on that, but we're also implementing, um, some areas of technology that allow us to run with slightly less people. So we are moving towards QR, uh, ordering for the guests and we're weaving that into our training. We're weaving that into our business model. We're weaving that into the experience and being very vocal about the fact that we want to have a better environment for our team. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is through incorporating technology into the guest experience. And there's been some pushback. We're still slowly kind of like implementing it, but with QR ordering, it does allow us to run, you know, a tighter shift. Um, and it means more money for everyone. So it's kind of a win-win all around from an operational and, you know, um, work environment perspective. Sure. I can definitely see how operationally that would streamline things in such a way that you could go with maybe a less, less number of staff on per shift. What, uh, uh, you said you get a little bit of pushback. Uh, what's the, what's that hospitality side? You know, I feel like, you're eliminating an opportunity for maybe a bit of education or a bit of talk when you're just uh, allowing guests to order by their QR code. Absolutely. Well, that was something that was, um, you know, of hospitality is at the core of what we are doing. But, you know, in my in my time to myself, um, I also sat with that idea, this idea of hospitality. What, what is hospitality really? And the more I sat with it, the more I researched it, Hospitality is really a relationship. It's a relationship between two individuals, a host and a guest. And I think that we've really taken to reframing this concept of hospitality for everyone. We are not of the opinion that the customer is always right. We are of the opinion that we are hosting individuals in our space the same way we would host dinner guests at a dinner party. And we are gracious and we're so excited to host our guests and we want to give them the best experience ever. Um, and there's an understanding that in this relationship, they're going to enter our home, you know, with grace and, um, and that we're going to have a great time together. And to answer your question specifically about like, how are we able to offer hospitality with, you know, when guests are ordering with a QR code, we found that it actually frees up the time of, uh, either the bartender or the person hosting the floor, to really talk about the ingredients that we're using to get into details about, you know, the special that we're running or why we chose to be so plant forward rather than having to essentially schlep information from one area of the room into a computer, which when you think about it is like the least efficient process ever. Um, in this day and age, it, they can just put in exactly what they want. If they want a new drink, if they want, you know, all of that, if they want to pay out, if someone wants to leave early, all of those little details don't have to wait on a on a human. But we've found that people actually have now more time to really get into the details of what we're offering. And I think I think people really like that, actually. I love it. You know, it's uh, at my bar, Amore Margo, for the past six of our 10 years, all cocktails on menu 
or prepared in advance. Um, this did exactly that for us. It freed up so much time that we became better bartenders because we were able to tend to the bar, which means tend to the people. Uh, and that is hospitality for me. Um, you mentioned that you are uh, attracting employees by offering a higher hourly. Um, did that uh, cause a price increase on the menu? I mean, you're a new space, so maybe you didn't have a, an increase, but did you launch with a, a menu that was maybe a little bit more uh, expensive? And if so, um, what's the guest's reaction to that or what's their perception of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we um, when we were doing our costing factored in um, the the true cost, if you will. I think that for a long time, the guest has had a subsidized dining experience at the cost of the labor. Um, and, and also profits to the, the business itself. But I think that the workers have been primarily subsidizing. And then there's this thing, you know, with the tipping and, and we don't have to get into tipping necessarily, although I'm down to, to get into it. But I think ultimately the, the true cost of an experience of dining out, which, you know, this is one of the last frontiers, the last forms of live entertainment that people do on a regular basis. Like gone are the days of going to the theater on a regular basis or, you know, out to different shows or other form performances, types of live entertainment. This is it. And so I think really thinking about it holistically and like what, what does it actually cost, including the labor um, and putting that into the check. So what we did is we, um, we accurately costed out our drinks and our food. And then we also have a service fee that is pooled amongst the entirety of our team. So the back of house and the front of house. Um, and this allowed us to create a living wage. So we're actually able to make sure that everyone's minimum wage is at $20 an hour. Um, and then dividing after that, you know, the service fee amongst everyone. So it has really improved the quality of life first and foremost for for our kitchen, um, dishwashers and prep cooks and people that typically really don't have a very high living wage or usually don't get paid as much in a restaurant, we're able to pay them more. And then also being able to offer a higher hourly to our tip staff, um, which really made a big difference in their paychecks. So I think we're really trying to move towards these sort of these different standards where you know people can have a, a also there's consistency a greater consistency in what their paychecks are right which which gives them a more reliable uh, means to budget their lives right exactly exactly we've also been um increasing slowly our benefit offerings both internally what we're offering to our team and then external benefit programs. So uh, we have been starting to do movement and meditation. Um, right now we're just doing it once a month, but we want to be able to do it uh, weekly. And that's offered to our whole team. And we're incorporating other means of like movement and also grounding practices. So not just working out, which I think is amazing, but also ways to incorporate mindfulness and stress reduction into your everyday life. And that has been really well received. Everyone seems to really enjoy that. In addition to that, we're working with a few groups, like there's one group, um, Oyster Sunday, that has put together a really interesting benefits package. Um, and so we've been starting out to 
to incorporate that into our programming. We just opened, so we're still kind of getting the finishing touches. But essentially what that is, is like they give you access to all of these different resources, whether it's like Warby Parker or Talkspace or um, ClassPass at a significantly discounted rate. Uh, for all of your team members and the restaurant pays a monthly fee to be a part of this group. Um, so it's a really interesting concept and I hope that it can take off and kind of grow, which I, I think it will. Sounds pretty fascinating. I'll have to look into it myself. Um, well, let's take a quick break here and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back and we'll continue talking with Maria Bastash about Disco Mary in Washington, D.C. and their approach to hiring and maintaining staff during these difficult times. Stay tuned. Hey, bartenders and bar owners, are your menus ready for colder weather? Seasonal serves can drive hot profits. Sign up on DiageoBarAcademy.com to join experts live or view past masterclasses on demand anytime. Subjects include creating the ultimate seasonal cocktail menu, how to create a menu that includes warming, spice-infused drinks, how to make the most out of your outdoor seating this fall and winter, plus low and no ABV winter cocktails, uh, which are certainly more and more popular every year. The best thing to do for you is to sign up uh, for the weekly newsletter so you get the latest on trends and insights from Diageo Bar Academy. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Whether you're a bartender, owner, operator, or if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy-to-access resources to help you learn new skills or stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Get on it. Welcome back to The Big Food Question. I'm your host today, Southern T from The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I am talking uh, to Maria Bastash from Disco Mary in Washington, D.C., about the challenges that our sector is facing uh, in hiring new staff for the holiday season. But even beyond that, uh, Maria, we've been talking about some of the things that you're offering to your staff. How effective have these techniques been in drawing new hires? I would say they've been very very effective. Um, now, granted, we're a small space and we're able to run with a, a pretty a tight crew. Um, but that being said, I think that, I mean, we're constantly talking to people. We're constantly um, putting out ads. I, I will say that Craigslist for us has been actually very um, useful, um, but it, it's an ongoing process. It's literally something we talk about every single week. Um, so yes, we are offering a very compelling, you know, work environment. It's a new concept and that always comes with a little bit of shine. Um, but I think people, our team specifically has really been growing with us and running with us and then they're bringing in also friends. And I think that's, that's a really strong testament to what your work environment is. If you have, you know, members of your team that are like reaching out to their friends being like, Hey, you got to come here. It's, you know, it's cool. It's chill. Um, and so I think that between, you know, word of mouth and then just, you know, reaching out to individuals via ads and, and having a process for that and having a training system for that. I think that, um, having, the time that I had back, you know, at Maidan and Compass Rose, I spent a lot of years focused on developing our training structure and having, you know, solid training documents and a process where people feel really supported. So they know exactly how to do their job and do it well and have systems that make it easy. You know, they're not having to, you know, <laughs> 
certain work conditions, I think back of like having to climb a ladder to go get ice in the ice machine that was up in like a, a weird attic at one of the bars or like just these weird situations where I'm like, how is that even allowed? Like, but that was just normal. So like just having systems that make sense that are good for, um, for a group, I think is very helpful. So I think all of those things have kind of come together, but it, it is, you know, as you know, this is a process and it takes a lot on the part of ownership and management. Like, I think one of um, the articles I was reading from Diageo Bar Academy, just because they put out some really great research and one of the white papers was talking about this distinction between leadership and management. And I was like, you know, this is really good information. We don't usually think about this. We think of those two things as synonymous, um, but they're not necessarily the same thing. You need to have both and you need to be able to have uh, management that is trained, that knows how to manage people because that is not intuitive. Um, it's very difficult, as you know, to manage people because humans are humans and we all have different needs and different sets of circumstances, emotions, backgrounds, things that we're dealing with coming into work. Uh, and so having proper tools to be able to to manage that um, is really important. And in addition to that, you also need to have leadership. You need to have vision. You need to have, you need to be able to show your team, this is where we're going. This is where we're headed. Um, so I think it's something that we're committed to and that we stay on top of on a regular basis. We're constantly doing training programs. And um, I think that's something that could be more widely available to our industry is you know, doing management training programs, leadership training programs, and they're, they're definitely are offered. Um, but I think they could be more widely talked about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that oftentimes we, we have to play multiple roles in our field because we are tight houses that only have, you know, Amore Margo survived with four employees for most of its life, right? And myself included. So I was one of the four. So really only three of us. Um, and, you know, so I'm the leader. I am the, uh, I'm the management. I'm the ownership. I'm the plumber. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm fixing that stupid ice machine that constantly breaks down uh, in addition to everything else. And I think that, you know, as we move forward and look forward as a, as a group, uh, one of the things that I've been really trying to emphasize in my own mind and to my teams as well is that, you know, one of the hallmarks of progress is that the person behind you has an easier path. You know, if we're out there with a machete hacking our way through the jungle, then we're making the trail for the people behind us. And as they come and walk on it, it gets smoother and flatter for the people behind them. And I think that that sort of thinking has really helped me to, um, attract better employees and hold on to employees throughout uh, this, this difficult time that we've gone through. Um, you know, I, I, I remind them constantly that, you know, we're headed somewhere and we're headed there together. I'll lead the way, just stick with me and I'll make it as easy for you as possible. Um, so that's, that's the sort of metaphor running through my mind. So I love that. I love that visual. Yeah. <laughs> so how um, you're, you're fully staffed up, I'm assuming right now, because you're, relatively brand new. How do you foresee all these things that you're putting in place being something that will not only have attract new employees when you need them, but will maintain the ones that you have? Because that's also been a pretty big strife in our industry is to hold on to people for any, uh, you know, yeah. um, considerable length of time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think part of our strategy has been to continuously 
um, check in with individuals and make sure that we're developing um, paths for them that get them closer to their goals. We we talk to everyone on a regular basis, but we also have structured meetings in terms of um, evaluations, but also just business development and career development. Um, we have some incredibly talented and ambitious individuals working with us. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're facilitating their goals um, and, you know, helping them get to uh, the places that they want to be, whether that's owning their own space someday, whether that's moving into a slightly tangential industry, like just working in distilling or um, working in a new business altogether, um, we are committed to kind of help them get to that space. And so I think that that's allowed us to foster a closer relationship. Now, granted, we, again, we have a small team. I think we're like 16 people all in. Um, so this is the smallest team I've ever managed, but I think that it, it's allowing us to start and kind of set this muscle memory for how we're working with our team moving forward. And I do think it would be possible to expand um, once we get these systems in place. So I think that like making sure that you have that communication, that you are able to provide a space where people are able to kind of develop in the areas and the ways that they want to. Um, one example I can provide is, you know, we had talked about we're doing this movement and meditation in our space because we have this covered patio and it's really great for, for those types of activities. Well, we have members of our team that are interested in getting into the alternative healing space that are interested in getting into, you know, energy work and, and, uh, yoga and things of this nature. And so having these types of activities not only allows them to bring that type of work into this space and to be able to talk about it, but also gives them a chance to do it. Um, so we've had some people express interest that they want to lead, um, a movement or a meditation, or they want to do a pop-up inside of our pop-up. They want to do an event surrounded this. And we're constantly saying, yes, what do you want to do? We'll, we can make a thing out of it. And it's a way for them to generate additional revenue. It's a way for them to kind of showcase their other strengths and their other, you know, passions. Um, and it's also great for us because, you know, it, it, means that they're invested in the space and it's, it's a really cool offering that we're able to provide to guests. So it's, it's definitely a win-win. And I think that that's something that restaurants could be doing more is seeing their space as more than just a bar or restaurant. Um, that the space, having a physical space is such a precious thing. Um, there's a lot you can do with that space. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the notion of, um, helping your own team realize their dreams that may be outside of your dream. Um, you know, I often, uh, when I hire, I speak to my team and I say, you know, I want you to come on here and I want you to gather things from me, uh, that you can use in your next job. Cause my expectation isn't that you're going to stay with me forever. Um, so, you know, uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's applaudable that you're trying to give them skills to move on to the next thing in their lives. I love that you sort of mentioned there, uh, that these movement and meditation classes, are, did I mishear you or are you inviting your guests to come to these as well? Oh yeah. No, these are open to guests. That's incredible. Um, I only recently started doing a similar thing, you know, as you know, in this field, plenty of reps come and do educational seminars with your teams. Um, now I require that reps come and do an educational seminar with my teams in the daytime. And then they come back in that same evening and do the same thing with my guests. Oh, that's great. 
right, which makes the guest feel very um, part of the process. They feel like they're involved in the R&D. They feel like they're getting educated right alongside of us so that they have, you know, uh, a knowledge that they can come in and feel confident about ordering things and talking to us about things. So, and it's been working out splendidly. So I encourage you to maybe do that too. Ooh, that's such a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it seems like you're already doing it with, with, with outside things. I love the pop-up inside the pop-ups, very inception. <laughs> um, yes. That's great. Um, well, Maria, uh, I really appreciate your time and your intelligence on this topic of uh, hiring for both the holidays and beyond uh, in an industry that's feeling a bit of um, feeling a bit hobbled in the uh, resource in the human resources arena. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Just that you know, I think that there is there is a way that it is it is possible to reimagine these spaces that we. This industry that we, you and I both love and many people know and love. Um, and so I just encourage people to get creative and to stay positive and we, we can do it. I, I believe in it and I believe in you as well. Uh, listen, everybody, go out there uh, and get on Instagram and follow Disco Mary uh, and we'll all be partying like there is a tomorrow. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Cheers, guys. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks to Souther Teague. If you'd like to hear more from Souther, check out his podcast on HRN, The Speakeasy. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, and me, Hannah Forden. Dylan Hoyer was the executive producer of this episode. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of its content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment of the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. The Big Food Question is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.